um, in spite of the fact that I've been living in Oregon for a while, I'm not sure if this expression is part of the culture or not. Maybe you can help me out. But where I grew up, I regularly heard people, particularly men, referred to as big talkers. Do you know what I mean by a big talker? Uh, maybe, maybe it was just in that region. Perhaps it was a general, generational thing because for me, it was associated with people who sat on front porches, who took walks around the block and stopped to speak to their neighbors. I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like this. Um, as they did, uh, these folks would swap stories and if you're going to tell a story, then it needs to be a big story. It needs to be audacious, one in order to get maximum laughs. And there were a lot of big talkers when I grew up. Here's what I've discovered about big talkers. They speak as if they've been to the edge of life and back. They talk as if they fear nothing. They understand most everything in the world. They have something better to say than we do. And they take pleasure in seeing you squirm and giving the impression that God has placed them on this earth to teach you to inform you, to give you a lesson. You know anyone like that? Is that person sitting next to you right now? If so, just slip up your hand. No. <laughs> Having a meal with this kind of person is one of the most painful experiences a human being can endure. It's happened to me. In that circumstance, I really don't enjoy the food I'm eating. I can barely get a word in when I do. I can tell that the person across from me is simply waiting for me to be quiet so that they can say the next thing that's on their mind. Here's what might be surprising. In my experience, big talkers in their heart of hearts are often very anxious, fearful people. And they tend to have a very limited view or perspective on life. In reality, they haven't been to the margins of this world. Because to do so would really stretch them well beyond their comfort zone, perhaps to a breaking point. These folks are not as they seem. Because they really can't stomach the idea of being outside of their comfort zone. Now it sounds to you like I have some sort of disdain for big talkers. But the real problem I have is that they implicate me. I'm implicated because there's within me, just as there is within you, the impulse to stay very much within our comfort zone and convince ourselves that we are not staying within our comfort zone. Now, the margins of life, the margins of our comfort zone will be different for each one of us, but we all have them. Some may want to push themselves to the margins of sanity by jumping out of airplanes or ice climbing to the dumbest things you could ever do. And the same people who would do that may resist interpersonal contact with the folks who live under the Burnside Bridge. See, we may think we've taken risks and been brave in life in one way or another. I'm sure we have. 
But that doesn't mean there's not something that when faced with it, we dare not venture too close. And each one of us has our comfort zone. And we are keenly aware of when we're being pushed outside of it. Is it possible this could happen to a church or in a church? We could take a test at any point to see if we have our comfort zones. All I need to do is what? Change something. Really anything. Could be the leadership, could be how we serve communion, could be some of the songs we sing, could be our location, maybe letting an old ministry die, starting a new one in its place. And when a church makes those sorts of changes, the typical outcry of, we've never done it that way, or you don't value me, or this isn't going to work, it just rings out for all of us. I've not always held a, a position of leadership in the church, so I have also participated in those outcries over the years, just like you have. And I'm not pointing fingers at you. I'm just simply describing a condition that is common to all of us. There are myriad lessons I've learned in my limited ministry experience, and certainly one of them, one of the big ones, is that God has a habit of stretching and pulling at us in ways that seem very unreasonable to us at the time, and are definitely uncomfortable. God just doesn't run this world and advance his kingdom the way that seems best to us. Years ago, uh, the leadership at the church where I was serving was, was concerned. They were concerned about the fact that few people were making professions of faith in Christ and joining our church. Now we have people joining, but most of them were migrating from other churches, which is just kind of what normally happens in the church anyway, at least in the ones we are familiar with. Now, we had some children who were making professions of faith, but the church tends not to get very excited about those. The real adrenaline rush is when adults who've made a wreck of their lives have kind of a, a Damascus Road experience, right? And they end up joining the church, and that's when we tend to think, wow, this church is alive and vibrant. You hear the hesitation in my voice about how I feel about all of that. Nevertheless, at this point in the history of our church, we were interested in stimulating evangelism. So the senior pastor invited a man who was known for his inspirational talks and his training of, of churches to be better evangelists. And so this man agreed to come. And we planned the service for that morning with uh, a lot of different requirements, just as he specified for us. He wanted certain hymns sung at certain times in the service, and he wanted a solo at a solo sung at just the right moment, so that uh, maximum emotive uh, experience would would uh, be generated there. And he spoke really persuasively and winsomely. And then he left materials behind so that we could become better evangelists. And 
Man, people loved it. it. They had great feelings about this after he left. They talked about it for weeks and weeks. And that's pretty much all we did was just talk about it. And in the months that followed, I don't recall one adult joining our church having been led to Christ by one of our enthusiastic attendees from that day. The whole event, fine, I get it. I don't fault anyone for having it. But he doesn't follow the pattern God normally takes for building his church. What God tends to do is he places his people into everyday situations that are both familiar and well outside our prescribed zones of comfort. Going along in life, and we had, as Donna described it in her prayer, a divine encounter where God places in front of us that person, that need. And it stretches us, and we're not quite ready. But there we are. And that tends to be how God builds up His church, brings people in from the outside. Not too dissimilar to what we read about in Acts 8. In that text, a persecution had broken out against this infant church, spurred on by the hand of Saul, who would later become Paul, mainly. Philip had escaped to Samaria, hiding out from the ones who were after him. And he started preaching there in Samaria. And there were converts. Things were blossoming in Samaria. The church was growing. It was the kind of divine movement where it would make sense to stick around for a while and disciple these new converts. They would need training, as the lack of qualified leadership in Samaria was obvious. And who better to do that than someone who had learned straight from the Son of God himself, Philip. So he's evangelizing, he's sharing the good news, the church is growing, and right in the middle of all of this, this unbelievable movement, it must have been extraordinary to be a part of something like that. The Holy Spirit says to Philip, get out of here and go to the desert. <laughs> go to the desert in the middle of the day. And he doesn't say exactly where to go. Just get on that road south, that desert road. Go down there. Why should he go there? Who should he look for? He doesn't say. He just says go. Now, that doesn't make loads of sense, does it? But Philip does it anyway. And here comes this Ethiopian, clearly withstanding with power and authority, and the Spirit once again prompts Philip to approach this man. And I take note of the fact that the Spirit had to prompt Philip to encounter or to, uh, to come alongside this man. Interesting, right? Here's someone who had been preaching the good news, who had been with Jesus, Maybe there was a hesitation. So the Spirit had to prompt. And I kind of get that. In the ancient world, power and authority wasn't quite the same as we would envision it in our day, in our country. Real power and authority in the ancient world would literally hold your life in its hands. And faced with a person 
like this, especially not sharing your nationality, not sharing your ethnicity, it wasn't natural, it wasn't easy. And so the Spirit of God says, Philip, just go walk next to the carriage. Note that Philip doesn't come up with the idea to go to the desert in the first place, nor does he naturally think the logical thing to do is to approach him. And so all of this would make us think that maybe Philip isn't the main character of this brief drama. Maybe someone else is the center of it all. But Philip obeys. And as they begin to chat, of all things, he's reading the prophet Isaiah. And of all the texts, in all the books to be reading, he's reading Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. And I would think Philip was shocked out of his mind to encounter this African proselyte, reading a passage about the same man Philip had witnessed suffering on a cross not too long before this event. This guy was ready, right? Ready to hear Jesus. And so he urges Philip to come up into the chair, carriage, explain the meaning, and the Spirit didn't have to nudge Philip this time. He just started talking about how all of the law and all of the prophets testified to this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who had been crucified and is now alive again. I would love to know what they discussed. What sort of questions did he have? What did Philip say to explain it all? Isn't it interesting to you that Luke doesn't go into great detail about Philip's explanation? How did he connect the dots for him? What did he say? Did he take him to other Old Testament passages? Did he explain his hermeneutical approach? So curious. We're not told much of anything. Whether Philip led him in a prayer had him sign a connection card? <laughs> well, we do know that as they lumbered along in the desert in the middle of the day, suddenly they see water. Was the water normally there? Or was it a surprise for them to see it? I mean, is there normally a body of water in the desert in the middle of the day? Maybe not. The language seems to hint that both were surprised to see it, but we can't say for sure. And so, obviously, at that point, it only makes sense to get out of the carriage and do the thing that God had put in front of him at that moment. Philip baptized this man into the body of Christ, right there, in the desert, in the middle of a scorching day, a foreigner someone who doesn't belong to Israel or to Israel's holy temple. None of it makes much sense. But God put Philip in front of a prophet reading Ethiopian who needed water in the middle of the desert. And so what do you do? Well, you baptize him. You baptize him in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as soon as that happens, Spirit snatched Philip away, and he opened his eyes to discover 
he was well to the north of that location. That's it, Philip. Jot down. Move on. Can you imagine that experience? You've seen the Harry Potter movies, right? Dumbledore grabs Harry by the hand. All of a sudden, they're whisked away. What was that like? Sorry, I'm just stuck there right now. I don't even know what to say next. I just want to know from Philip what that was like to experience. It must have been ecstasy. He must have been terrified as well. It was a wake-up call, reminding all of them that even though Jesus had returned to the Father, these apostles still were not running the show, and the Spirit was pushing and prodding and directing something that they couldn't begin to understand. And it's not really that much different today. Maybe, maybe we've so sanitized church and made it so comfortable that I wonder how often we even bother to think about what God intends for us out there. We resist changes and anything that might stretch us beyond our boundaries. And at times, I can't help but wonder if God's Spirit just quietly says, okay, if that's the way you want it, if you want to stay there, if you want to be comfortable, if you want to just keep lumbering along, I'll leave you alone. And I'll go somewhere else. At our church, after our evangelism plans and efforts, God did something else that was very unexpected. A gentleman came in, a gentleman who attended the church there, came in one day and he said, you know, I've been helping out a guy who runs a Christian rehabilitation center in upstate New York. And it's for, for men in the city who are hooked on drugs and in all kinds of trouble. And oftentimes, when they get in this legal trouble, the judge will release them to this rehabilitation center. And he said, they're doing a great work, and I wish we could be, we could be more involved with them. And that's really all he said. Well, at the invitation of that friend, some of the staff from the ministry came to visit our little church in South Carolina. And, and it occurred to us, that maybe some of the people in our town who needed this kind of help should go to New York and see if they could get the help that they need. So we sent them. A few guys went to New York and God started doing something in their hearts and in their lives. And they returned home and lo and behold, one of the two of the one or two of the staff members who were based in New York decided to relocate to the South as well. And, and we started looking around and started thinking, what's going on here? And we said, you know, we've got these experienced staff members here. We've got these former drug addicts and new Christians here. And I bet there are a few more people like that around here. Hey, maybe God wants us to do something for them. 
Maybe, in a way, he's directed us out into the desert in the middle of the day. He's invited us up into the carriage, and now it's just a matter of doing the obvious thing that God has put right in front of us so the Spirit can accomplish the work he's pushed us out for. We didn't know a thing about drug rehabilitation. I still know next to nothing about it. I went to court one day with one of these guys to vouch for him. I don't know if you've ever done anything like this. And I had to tell the judge, don't worry, this guy's going to be in good hands. Now, I didn't lie at the moment, but I had no idea really what I was getting myself into. And none of it seemed reasonable for this little country church that was mainly interested in singing familiar hymns and hearing a good sermon every week. And God started stretching us into areas about which we knew nothing. But that's the way God tends to work. There's something about Him that resists the church's comfort zone and pushes us to the margins the boundaries where we don't want to go. But that's where he has to go in order to get the ones that he wants and bring them in. And the church, well, the church can get very inspired and very emotional about the idea of going to those margins, about the idea of it. But in reality, we like to stay in our four walls content with good coffee and a monthly meal and a sermon on Sunday. But if we are going to be the church of Jesus here, oh, we can't say that way. We need divine kingdom stretching. And we need to find ourselves in the middle of something we cannot control. And we do that to survive. And God is determined that his church will stay alive. So what about us in here? My guess is that God's been moving and orchestrating life in such a way that water has appeared for you in the desert in the middle of the day. And if you're anything like I am, we can let it slip by almost unnoticed. Perhaps we're waiting for the church just to tell us what to do next. Just to make it easy, clean for us, a start and a stop date with someone else running the program. But maybe that's not the sort of kingdom stretching God has in mind for you. Or for me.